It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you let me grasp just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger. I don't know if I'm in the headspace to talk about death and your dad and all that stuff. We'll just get there. Okay, cool. Hey, to the shores. To the shores. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's been two weeks. It's been two weeks. We've been off, um, which we we might as well go straight into Mm -hmm. it. We've been off because my father passed away two weeks ago, and we're going to talk quite a bit about that on this episode. Um, Kind of a hard thing to enter. Yeah, Mm -hmm. how do you get in the right headspace? I'll say up front, when we started this podcast, we were doing more interviews, and we interviewed him on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So he's actually episode two. Mm. And uh, we've gone and cut some clips from that, so we're going to play some of those and and kind of. It's interesting cutting the clips from that episode. It was really emotional for me, um, but also I kind of imagined doing this recording tonight, not exactly sure what this conversation was going to be like, and I imagined playing some of these clips and then us talking and it sort of being like having another conversation with him. Mm. So that's I'm looking forward to that. I think it's just awesome just thinking your dad was our second episode. Our first episode was you, you and I just kind of introducing the shores. Yeah. And this very second episode was your dad. Uh-huh. If that sells you guys anything about Matt's dad, which we'll get into more about. But yeah. it's super special to have him on. And yeah, it was. I just loved going back and listening to his voice like he was in the room. And I can hear all the all of his, uh, all of his stuff that just pours out of him. So. Mm. You know, I, I thought a lot about my dad and who he was and his character and his wisdom when he was alive, but there's something I was listening to uh, Lex Friedman interview Edward Frankel, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the mathematician. Mm-hmm. Great episode. And he was talking about his <clears throat> father dying. And he said he was really close with his dad when his father was alive, but he said there's something really interesting that happened after his dad died. He said, he said, my dad loved me and love can sometimes be a bright and burning force. Hmm. I'm paraphrasing Edward Frankel here, but he said, the thing is when someone's alive that loves you, sometimes you hide from it. Hmm. And when they're alive, you can do that because you can leave, you know, Mm -hmm. you can go away for a short period of time or a long period of time. And, but he said, after my dad died, his love for me, like I can't hide it from it anymore. Hmm. It's there all the time. I can't get away from it. And I remember it was just a couple of weeks ago. I listened to that episode three weeks ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I just cried listening to him talk like that because I mm-hmm. thought about my dad and imagined what it might be like. And I never ever imagined that I would be on the other side of that mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So soon too. So soon. Yeah. Yeah. Your dad was still a fairly young man, too. Yeah, he was 64, mm-hmm. which I consider young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, too. He was also healthy. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any... There was no indi- indication of anything wrong to him or anybody else. Yeah, he mowed his yard in his neighbor's yard that, that very day. The day he died, yeah. And again, that says a lot about your dad. <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> There's so many things. I think that's something that 
Well, and, it, and he was mowing the neighbor's yard because the neighbor's dad had just passed away. Oh, wow. So he wouldn't, he wanted to help them. Mm-hmm. And he mowed the, both lawns and went back to work and didn't come back. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know how fast you want to get into all this, but um, I know I've kind of we've talked a little bit about this, but like, what was your first reaction when mm-hmm. your mom told you, like, how, how did that, how did that kind of come to you or, or, or how did you react to that whenever your mom first told you? Yeah. Well, I think when my son was born 17 years ago, hmm. it made me very sharply aware of the relationships in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something like, oh, now I understand love. Mm-hmm. Like I met my son for the first time and I understood a father's love. And in that sense, I understood my dad's love for me in the first for the first time. Mm-hmm. But in that was also this realization that, oh, that's going to, that'll be gone someday. Mm-hmm. My dad's going to be gone someday. I'm going to lose my dad. And I became terrified of that. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, well, it's a long way away, but still, you know, I would think about it often because my dad and I were really close and I would talk to him, you know, for long stretches of time, I would talk to him every day, like long, you know, hour long conversations on the phone. And I would see him you know, probably once a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, when my mom called me, I picked up the phone and answered it. Hey, mom, how you doing? You know? Mm-hmm. And she was crying and could barely get the words out and just said, I have horrible news. Mm. You're I think she said, dad has passed away Hmm. and it had just happened. She, I just found him. And I I just remember to answer your question about my my reaction. I remember, I remember having two distinct reactions. One was entirely bodily. Hmm. My body was immediately sort of started shaking like an engine that was starting Hmm. and then tears started coming and convulsions and I felt sick and nauseous and there was this other part of me the maybe my my mind which sort of stood at a distance and just watched Hmm. with this sort of cold almost cruel perspective of curiosity Hmm. like oh so this is how you react Hmm. when this event happens that Mm -hmm. you've been scared of yeah forever and some part of me was kind of coldly like interesting. Oh, that's, yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Did those worlds collide or they just continue to kind of, mm-hmm. were they still separate like for a period of time as far as? I think I was aware of the separation for the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. I can't actually yeah, say <laughs> time has, um, time is such a weird thing. I I have experienced time in a very strange way these past couple of weeks. Mm. It's simultaneously gone very quickly and very slowly. I think there was some resolve and some immediate, okay, what do we need to do? What do I need to do? I need to get to where my mom is. I Mm. need to get 
my brother and sister there. I need to tell my kids. It was sort of immediately like I, I have these things that I need to do. And I, that was enough for my attention to resolve my sort of physical and mental state mm-hmm. in that, in towards something. Hmm. Just when you said that there was, there's two thoughts that went through my head was one, like that seems kind of sad, like having to think about that rather than just being able to sit with it at that moment mm. and be in that space. But at the same time, there's, you know, I could, I could just imagine even your mom, like, okay, my husband's passed. I need to call the kids. You know, she, she even has that sort of, mm-hmm. there's things I need to do, right? like obligations or, or whatever it might be. And I mean, I was kind of resentful hmm. toward myself. Like, why couldn't I just be fully present in that moment? Yeah. But in a, but in a sense, is that is that necessarily a good or a bad thing, you know? <clears throat> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean... Well, I don't know, and I don't know that we have any control over it. Mm-hmm. You know, that part of you that sits outside of your... Like you can be having a mental process and watch yourself have a mental process mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And you don't really get to choose not to do that. There are some activities. And I think that's what we talk about when we talk about a flow state, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it's especially in the midst of trauma, something traumatic. Yeah. It's, it's not possible to be fully resolved. Maybe there's some protection mechanism there. Mm-hmm. And I know some people, they split like that and they never, they never resolve. They never mm-hmm. come back. Yeah. Um, again, just thinking about the, the different reactions I've seen, like, like there is also a, a crumbling that can happen mm-hmm. where you become, you become disabled almost, you know? Yeah. And that, that can be kind of scary. And then there's also the aspect of when you're around friends and family, there's a certain uh, allotment that those people around you allow you and almost provide that space for you to have that moment of mm. you're allowed to lose control. Yeah. You know, responsibility is not your, your problem, you know, and there's, there's sort of a, an allowance to, um, not have that watching person, <laughs> mm. you know, that's a really good point because, so my parents live in San Antonio and I, we live in Austin. And so sort of this happened around the six o'clock hour and by about nine o'clock, I guess my brother and I were in the car. His wife was driving. She drove us down. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that hour and a half car ride, just feeling numb, kind of almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, I think, until I got there and the sort of next several days, I was provided a space through friends and family that came, were there at the house that came to t- take care of everything that needed to be taken care of and just on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. you know, meals and provision and all of that. And I spent some time, spent a lot of time grieving in, in many different ways, mm-hmm. some of it sobs some of it just sat, I sat and stared mm-hmm. 
And I was able to do that without that split, without the part of me watching myself. And I think that mm-hmm. that maybe I can attribute that to something like you were saying that <clears throat> the responsibilities were taken care of. So I could just be there. Mm-hmm. And I feel really grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, so definitely something I feel like, you know, it's kind of built into cultures and mourning is that sort of, you know, why even with ba- when babies are born, you bring people food, you allow sort of a try to allow people to be in that space and in that moment. And, you know, I, I think probably other, I, that'd be interesting to look at other sort of ceremonies around death mm-hmm. and how how that kind of, how that helps facilitate that space. I mean, you know, like you think you hear of like, in I don't know, I won't get this exactly correct, but in some Jewish circles where it's, you, you, there's time for just wailing and, and crying. And it's almost maybe even an exaggerated in a sense, but it's more about Mm. making sure you go to that place. Um, And I can see, I can see the healthiness of that. Like, no, we're all just going to, lose control right now what do you mean by that lose control what does that mean to you well it's kind of like how you were explaining it is you're not paying attention to mm. the that person that other the other you it's the sort you of, that watches mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you can just fully incorporated in grief something like that mm-hmm. so it doesn't necessarily mean <clears throat> gnashing and wailing mm-hmm. although it might yeah it might I was just thinking more in the extreme cases where, you know, maybe, well, I think also people feel things differently and some, some people are more expressive and, you know, it to be okay to be more expressive, you know? Mm -hmm. Hang on one second. Okay. Oh, now I got the little buzz. Yeah, it, it is going. Okay. It was with my mic. Oh, gotcha. Like I feel like it's mm-hmm. kind of cutting off the beginning of some of my words or something. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay, back in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's something. Death is kind of confusing to me, in a sense, hmm. like how we, how we process that. And I see, I see different people process it differently, and so that's why I'm just curious and that's kind of why I was asking you the questions is like how did how do you feel and it might be too early to really talk about it this way I don't yeah I don't feel like I've actually done much processing yeah the most of me doesn't believe that it's real Hmm. I it seems like too big of a loss Hmm. to my to me personally and to my family, my brother and sister and my mom and my grand or his grandkids, my kids, I don't know how to gauge it. I don't know how to imagine it. Yeah. So something inside of me just, mm. let me read, let me read you something about that. Any thoughts while I'm trying to pull oh, this up? <laughs> you just zoned I was out. just zoned out. I was like, I was like, I'm waiting. Uh, now I, I think that's you know as far as you know how you process things and you know just seeing even when my dad passed, like Allison versus myself and my mom and my sister and my brother. Um, 
it was just interesting to see how we all kind of had a different way of of engaging with that and it's still it's still hard for me to understand you know what that what that means like for me when i when i think of death i i, sit, I tend to lean towards the time that i had with that person and not that much that not as much as that they're gone like for me it's almost like they're not gone really and so you know i don't know if that's good or bad or whatever but mm. i think you're what you said during the service something about how somebody leaves a piece of themselves in you yeah let, let me read what i was okay. thinking of this is a quote so you're asking about processing and I was just feeling like I couldn't process it. Mark Twain wrote this little passage about his daughter dying, you know, which I think the death of a child is always a shock mm. in the natural order of things. You should, your children should outlive you. Yeah. Totally. So Mark Twain said, it is one of the mysteries of our nature that a man, all unprepared, can receive a thunderstroke like that and live. There is what but one reasonable explanation of it. The intellect is stunned by the shock, but gropingly gathers the meaning of the words. The power to realize their full import is mercifully wanting. The mind has a dumb sense of vast loss, that is all. It will take the mind and memory months and possibly years to gather together the details and thus learn and know the whole extent of the loss. It's like he's almost describing like that line, um, the power to realize their full import is mercifully wanting. Like mm. it's a, it's a severe mercy that you don't understand the loss. Mm. Because maybe if you did, it would be too much and you couldn't, you wouldn't live through it. Hmm. So this sort of dumb numbness that I feel or lack of the ability to understand or imagine it, maybe there is some mercy in that. Mm -hmm. But I, I do like where you're going with that question of like, well, what is death? And, and, and really what is a person mm -hmm. as well? Because... I have been thinking about this idea that, and I said this in my eulogy, that it's almost like just in the way that whoever it is that you are is distributed across time. You know, young Michael isn't the same as current Michael, isn't the same as old Michael. There is a sameness, there is a oneness, but you can't say that those are the th same three men. Mm -hmm. I think there's almost the same thing when it comes to people being distributed across a collection of other people. Mm. Everyone who knows you knows you somehow uniquely. And so if I want to know you, I also have to know the people that know you. Mm. If I just know you and I don't know your wife or your kids, well, I don't know you mm -hmm. as well as I could. Yeah. And it's almost like part of who you are exists inside of those people. Hmm. And what does that mean? I don't know exactly. Yeah. 
it isn't like they just have some information that they can relate to me. You know, knowing you isn't about collecting and gathering bits of data. It's relational. Mm -hmm. And to know you, I also have to have a relationship with those people that you have relationships with. Yeah. And so I sort of took that idea and I thought, well, and I paired that with, um, I had this memory of when I was a kid, I was, I was probably nine years old. And at that time, my parents and brother and sister and I were living in Bernie, Texas. And my dad was a licensed professional counselor. He was a therapist, psychologist. And we had previously lived in Austin in his practice. He was in private practice, was in Austin. That's where all his clients were. And so at this period of time, my brother and sister and I were all young and he was spending five days a week in Austin so he could make the money to support our family. And it was one night I missed him really bad. Hmm. It was pretty late at night. I might've woken my mom up upset and just told her how much I missed dad. And I think she tried to get me to go back to bed. And finally she called him and let me talk to him. And I just remember feeling this sort of like sad relief. Like I was sad he was gone and I missed him and I heard his voice and it didn't exactly relieve the missing because he still wasn't there. Yeah. But there was relief in it. Like he's, he is there. Mm -hmm. He is coming home. And I had this moment a couple days after he died where I remembered that and I thought, you know, my dad has always been the one that I call at the end of everything. Mm-hmm. And he is that because it's almost like there's something, there's some part of me that I can only access by talking to him. said another way but I think a less powerful way it's like there are things that I can only work out when I work them out with him Mm -hmm. but I want to say it differently which is that there's part of me that I can't commune with I can't look at I can't access at all Mm -hmm. except through him which is almost to say the same thing as if I want to know you I have to know the people that you love Mm -hmm. If I want to know myself, part of that exists in him. So I've got to commune with him. Hmm. So there's part of me that's in him. Hmm. And I think that that's a true statement, but I don't know how to, you know, quantify. Maybe it's not quantifiable. Maybe it's only qualifiable. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I experienced this. Yeah, and to some degree, so I think that's why I can I can understand what you're saying with your dad is you and I have conversations and then you put a third person in, the dynamics change all of a sudden. In fact, that's one reason why we've enjoyed bringing other people mm-hmm. on the podcast is it, it adds an element that is different. And so it also brings something different out between you and I with that third person there that we couldn't access without that per- person there. And depending on who that person is, it accesses different parts of of both you and I because of that certain person. Like Allison brings out a certain aspect of you and I 
in the podcast situation. Mm-hmm. And so I just can imagine, you know, your dad who, like you said, your when your son was born, like there's some things that kind of like clicked for you and actually made that relationship even more valuable and more than what it was. But that's something you could, you couldn't say that about any other man. You know, you're talking about your father because now you're a father. Right. And you can't access that feeling, but only through your father. I mean, unless somebody also maybe acted as a father for you or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, but that it comes through that sort of relationship of being a father and that's accessed through, through him, you know, or by Mm -hmm. his memory too. But, well, yeah. So that comes back to the question of what is a person? Because, well, is that part of me that I could only access through him? gone with him Mm. like am I less whole now that he's gone and I think not I think actually because it wasn't a one way street you know if there's some unique part of me that I can only access through him Mm -hmm. there's also some unique part of him that he can only access through me Mm. so there's some part of him that lives in me yeah and well is that real is that true is that his person? Mm-hmm. Not exactly. But when you say you could maybe access it through memory, I almost feel like it's one of those sort of like left brain hubristic, <laughs> totally. uh, like oversimplif- oversimplifications. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like what is a memory <clears throat> anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a video that you watch. Yeah. So I feel like there's something very real about that. Hmm. Like, like Frankel saying, my dad loved me. And when he was here, I could hide from it. And now I can't hide from it. Hmm. What is that love? Is it active? Is it current? Mm-hmm. He seemed to speak like it was. Yeah. He seemed to speak like it was so, it was so active and current mm-hmm. that it was almost unbearable. And that isn't just him thinking about memories. That's something real and present and in the now. I think I have a hard time kind of grasping this in a sense. I've got a few things, a little bit more, a few confusing thoughts in this area. You know, there's this part that, because I agree with your 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 idea of like the left brain sort of statement of this is how this works and you know memory and that kind of stuff. But again, the relational and experiential part of it is there's something real in how can you, and then I guess how can you define like what is real? And what is real? Yeah, because like a dream you is wake a dream up from, real. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting. That. I, I maybe this is a bit of a detour, but. I wrote this uh, sort of essay, memoir, short memoir kind of thing about like uh, my memory of being born because mm. I have a memory of being born. Mm-hmm. And I I wrote it. It's up on my Substack. You can go find it. And somebody commented at the bottom of it and said um, something like, well, how do you know this is an authentic memory or, or true memory? Mm. And I've... So there's something interesting in that because, well, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I made it up, but if I did, I made it up 
like way I made it up before I had any other memories. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, it's like I can't corroborate it. No one else was there to say, "Yeah, I have that memory too." Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence that I can pull to say, you know, like, "Oh, look, I, I have the T-shirt. I was there." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I started thinking, well, what does it mean for a memory to be true? Because most of our memories are false anyway, mm-hmm. on a factual basis. Yeah. And then I thought, well, it's maybe it's a silly question to say, is that memory true? Mm-hmm. Because when you have a dream, you don't say, was that dream true? Like that sentence doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. What is a true dream? It's no such thing. Dreams are dreams. Mm-hmm. They are what they are. You can interpret them. You make of them what they will, what you will. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean for something to be true what does it mean for something to be real well it's interesting i mean so there's one thing is is the 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 experience itself but then the memory of it and i think our memories can kind of tell us the story that we want to believe in a sense you know um i think it's necessarily true that mm -hmm. that's the case Mm -hmm. memories are stories they aren't facts yeah I mean, even even if you remembered an experience factually accurate, mm-hmm. Lee, it's still a story, mm-hmm. and I mean that literally. It isn't the it isn't actually what happened. It's your experience with what happened. Yeah, you're 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 making a narrative of it because you're not just saying red balloon sidewalk. You know, you're like, right. I was on the sidewalk and I was carrying well, this red balloon about and it, I felt happy. Or, yeah. I mean, you think uh, about, um, you know, all of the high profile trials mm-hmm. that we've had recently. We have all this camera footage and you, you would think that, oh, it's on camera. We know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. Show a different angle. There's a different story. Mm-hmm. Third angle, third story. How do we resolve these things into one? We still need the trials. The video doesn't settle the case. Mm-hmm. And your memory is something like that. Like yeah. you you are one camera in a panopticon of other people mm-hmm. who are experiencing things with you. And or, they're telling different stories. Yeah, take siblings, for example. I was, I was telling Aiden this because uh, I, I kept like saying- My son. Yeah, oh yeah, sorry, uh, uh, Matt's son. And so we were talking about uh, Mike, but I kept saying pop, pop the whole time. And I was like, pop, 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 pop. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I think I'm just going to call him Mike. Okay. From here. <laughs> Cause I just kept saying pop, pop. Uh, that's what they call, uh, uh Matt's dad, his grandkids. And yes. That is an arrested development <laughs> reference. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, yeah, my uh, dad loved that line. Pop, pop gets a treat. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, I told, I was telling him, I was, uh, you know, my, my, brother and my sister called my grandparents four different names. I have no recollection of that. I thought mm-hmm. they were all grandma and grandpa. We mm-hmm. just call them grandma and grandpa because that's what they are. They're old people that are yeah. either uh, a female or a male. <laughs> grandma and grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> and my sister's like, no, there was Mimi and there was Papa and there was and I was like, I just have no recollection of that. Mm. And we lived in the same house and knew the same people. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, memory is like you know, even even among siblings can be experiencing the same sort of same things yeah. can be completely different. Well, and I, so I have this sense that 
like I actually feel I feel devastated. I feel destroyed hmm. that I can't call my dad anymore. Hmm. But I also have this feeling like that doesn't mean he's it's not over. Mm-hmm. He's not like the story's not done and he's still a part of that story and I find something I find some rest in that. Hmm. Some stability. Yeah. I was telling this story um at his memorial service. My dad had this way of planting these what I called to myself time bombs <laughs> in my head. Mm-hmm. And it's like he would he would say something to me or he would do something in a particular way or love in a particular way that I didn't it was lost on me I didn't understand didn't see maybe I didn't even notice and then sometime later I would see it and it was like a bomb went off and I saw everything differently I mean it's almost similar to how I saw the world differently after my son was born and you know those things are still in me there's still all kinds of things that my dad sewed into my life that I'm not aware of. And I think we had this conversation about your dad mm-hmm. um, about a year and a half ago. Was it, has it been that long? Yeah. about. And you were reflecting on the same thing. Like there's parts of you that are him mm. and you don't realize it. Mm. It's like you're in a sense sort of, what you might think is going by intuition and then you realize later that, Oh no, this is the instruction set that was engraved into me Mm. and it came from him. Which is, which is fascinating. Like uh, recently, uh, when I don't put lotion on my hands, I look at them and I see my dad's hands (laughs) and it's just such like, I don't know. It's so comforting in a sense. Mm. It's almost like I'm experiencing him, you know, bodily, you know? Yeah. And then also when I look in the mirror and I see, you know, it's like, I, I kind of take after my dad, like facially and stuff. And, and I see my dad mm. and it's just something that's really, I don't know. It's, it's kind of comforting if, yeah. if, if anything else that, you know, and that like he almost kind of lives on through me, you know, mm-hmm. in that sense. Uh, I mean, probably technically, genetically, whatever, but that's not what I'm talking about. Well, it's just, seems to me like there's something deeply true about that and you can sort of reduce it to oh well he lives on through me through my yeah. genes mm-hmm. but it's it's more than it's that. more than that mm-hmm. or even the, I mean just this weekend um Elio Emerson played up on Elio's team high school team uh Emerson's in middle school and they both got hits and Mimi calls Emerson and I just overhear their conversation and she was like, you know what? Papa would be on his feet, just screaming for you guys. Mm-hmm. And and so she's also living the experience through his eyes also, like how he would have reacted yeah. and how much he would have enjoyed that. Right. And it almost increases her joy for that experience, having that sort of almost like alter, you know, experience, like living through her husband of, mm-hmm. you know, 40 something years. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, on, a, on another scale, like, you know, 
I'll, I'll, I'll experience something. I'll, I'll think about, you know, think about you and how you would have, how you would have experienced that, you know, or Allison or, you know, it's like, well, that, that brings up an interesting question, which maybe actually leads me into a clip. I want to play from the episode mm-hmm. that dad was on, which okay. is that, can you experience joy alone? Hmm. And because when you experience joy, I think an aspect of joy, if maybe the primary aspect of joy is that it is relational. Hmm. And so I experience joy in something maybe that I don't even like because I know that you like it mm-hmm. and I'll feel, I'll feel good thinking, Oh, Michael loves that yeah, you know, yeah. or my wife or my mm-hmm. girlfriend or my mom or whoever. Yeah. It, the necessary component, it seems is something like joy or sorry, something like relationship. Hmm. Um, I think my dad believed that, mm-hmm. that almost all of the things hmm. let me play this cl- this clip and we'll see where, where my dad takes the conversation. I wonder if it's the one us. I wrote down. I wrote down something of a similar sense. I'm curious. Well, there's, there's two I'm trying to think of, but I'm going to mm-hmm. go with, um, this one. Yeah. He described this experience where he was at a conference. I really enjoyed that. He's a wonderful uh, existentialist, atheist, psychiatrist mm-hmm. who's been in practice for many years, written a lot of books. And he described this experience where he was at a conference. I don't know if he was leading the conference or whatever. There's several hundred people in the room. And he had people get up out of the chair and face a person like Peroff and mm-hmm. look into each other's eyes and simply ask a single question. The question was, what do you want? Hmm. not allowed to ask anything else right what do you want and he said that he's never been in a situation where there was so much deep emotion that came out of that simple little exercise people weeping talking about Hmm. lost children and lost opportunities and meaninglessness and and he said and these are by no means sort of ragtag people these were successful people who as he put it glittered as they walked Mm. So was a great way to put it. Um, and this, you know, which, which speaks to the idea that, in some sense, we all glitter when we walk, right? Mm. We nobody sees the turmoil that's going on inside of us. But that simple question, "What do you want?" You know, I I, I might begin to answer it and then stop and be like, "No, that's not what I want." Like, and I mm. and it just has a has a tendency of going deeper and deeper and deeper. Like, mm. what do I want? And and what I was going to say a minute ago, it may seem rather cliche, but I think it's true is that, you know, how do you answer that question? What do you want? I want, I want love. I want meaning. I want purpose. I want connection. I want intimacy. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of those things are things in our lives, which are nearly impossible to control. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like, I don't know. Getting, having, getting those things is impossible to control. Well, Maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement. It's not it's impossible to control. It's, it's very difficult. Like, how do I how do I become intimate with somebody? How do I, as some people have said, get the love that I want? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. How do I do that? I, and that ultimately becomes manipulative, and I don't want that. Right. Well, it's interesting that all of those things that you listed, all of those things require relationship. They require other people. Yes. And maybe you can't control how you come to those things mm. uh, because it's not just dependent on you. Right. 
Yes. And so if I answer that question, what do you want? Well, I want to win the lottery or I want to have a better job or these things in my life that are fine to want. But I think the things that I most deeply and existentially want are things that exist in a person. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why all of our deepest struggles are personal. Mm -hmm. They're relational. They're not simply because I lost my job or what, you know, issues that are um, transitional. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think to to live in a, in a universe where we are persons um, means that we long for something that is of person. Mm-hmm. We long for something that is personal. And that is the, that is the thing in my life that is, I have the least control over. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so good. That's actually the quote I wrote down was personal and relational. Yeah. It's such a we great long way of... for something that is of person. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's so many things I want to talk about in what he just said off the cuff there. Mm-hmm. And it just strikes me something I was starting to say at the beginning of this episode, which is something like when I referenced Edward Frankel because he sometimes hid from his dad's love and now he can't hide from it anymore and I just listen to that and I think that man was incredibly wise Mm. and to pack as I was listening back on that episode to pack so much insight and wisdom into just a conversation Mm -hmm. I think that was there all the time, all my life, so much so that I didn't ever, yeah, you know, <laughs> almost take it for granted only, or something like that. I don't, yeah. yeah, but I don't think that that's the case necessarily. Or maybe I'm just trying to be gentle with myself. But mm-hmm. it's not like, <clears throat> oh, well, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't make use of it when you had it, because that's not true. Mm-hmm. I think it's something more like you can only kind of see things clearly in the when they're in the past. Mm. And I hear him talk like that, and I think, I mean, because it isn't like I wasn't amazed by him when we recorded the conversation. Mm-hmm. You just see it differently now. Or even I think, you know, age and wisdom also helps you have more perspective on things like this. Like, that was one thing that your mom, it sounded, I, I took it this way as she got older she had this like desire to tape your dad. Yeah, that's true. To record your dad, to get these little nuggets of yeah. wisdom. And I just thought that was so special. Like your mom was like, this is something that needs to be recorded. And I just love it that your mom just took the initiative and I don't know that to, to do that. Like just that's, she valued that in her husband, you know? Well, she's a wise woman in her own That's true, yeah. <laughs> right, uh-huh. in, in ways that astound me. And one of those ways is her foresight. Mm. Um, my dad made a point in that clip, too, that I wanted to point out, which is he sort of said that there are two possible things to want. One is a person. One is personal things, things that are personal to us, things that exist in other people. Those are intimacy, love, relationship. 
And the other list of things, I think he listed sort of like the lottery or money, job, car. Mm-hmm. Status. He used the word transitional, said they were transitional things. Hmm. And I thought that was really profound, is that all of those things are a means to an end. They're transitional. Mm -hmm. But my relationship with you, my relationship with my kids, my parents, is not a means to any end. Hmm. It's almost like it's infinite. I love you. Mm -hmm. Where that goes isn't of concern to me. Hmm. And maybe that's another pointer at something like this idea that someone's here and then they're gone is is like a reductionist left brain rational logical reason based idea Mm -hmm. and it's leaving something out because so at the beginning of that clip he was I, I didn't cut it very well but he was talking I think about Irvin Yalom and this exercise that he was a part of where everybody squared off and said to each other, what do you want? And it's sort of a never ending question. Mm -hmm. What do you want? And you might say, I want a better relationship with my son. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of immediately realize, well, like, well, if I had a better relationship with my son, would I be satisfied? No, there's something deeper, something else that I want. And you could play this game infinitely. Mm -hmm. And, I thought of a conversation, one of the most recent, very long discussions I had with my dad. And during that discussion, he said, he quoted, I think, Peter Kreeft. Peter Kreeft said, it may be possible that the only thing that one can truly want is God. Hmm. I think you and I have been what I call in the process of reverse engineering religion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I recently started rereading GK Chesterton's orthodoxy Mm. and the way he states it is, I did try to find a heresy of my own, but when I had put my final touches on it, I discovered it was orthodoxy. Oh yeah. And he made his own way there. Yeah. I've been, you and I've been talking a lot and I've been thinking a lot about like, what is this? What is God? Mm Mm-hmm. And we've talked about heaven and I, I've sort of tried to say, I think heaven is a placeholder word for something that we can't imagine or describe. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe God is something like that. He is a person. He is an entity because the deepest level of everything is relational. And we have no idea how to imagine anything outside of relationship. Mm. And so God is someone who you have a relationship with. And he is also the deepest thing that you can want, the truest thing that you can want. And I mean, not in that he's true, but if you were to truly say what you wanted, and let's say you started with, I want to win the lottery. Hmm. And I just asked you why. <clears throat> and if we played that game to the bottom, mm-hmm. what you really want is God. <coughs> so funny i was gonna go the same direction it's like you know oh you want more money what for and there's a certain part where you start to come to the relational aspect because 
Mm-hmm. What do you want money for? It's like, well, I want to take my family on a trip. I want to prov- I want to have a, a better home. Uh, but what for? Like, right. I want to have my friends over and have a party. And obviously there's some things that can be off on this, but it seems like a lot of the things that we want that are, I forgot how you're transitional are really, when you start getting to the bottom of those why questions, like it, it comes back to the personal and, and the relational. And I think to your point, if you follow that road all the way down, you get to something like God mm-hmm. and, and that that's something that your dad also talked about, just our existential need and want to be fully known. And I think that's something that I've heard from him, you know, quite a few times as far as like, we just have this uh, existential want. And I think I wrote down the quote that, um, maybe you have the clip for this, but, um, Oh, inside of us is inconsolable secret that we cannot hide and we cannot tell. I've got it. Oh, you've got it. That's great. Let's play that. Okay. The point being that I think that is sort of of within the psychological nomenclature we talk about resistance, right? That is that that as, as we're having a conversation with somebody and we're beginning to uncover what's really happening there's a part of all of us that is just like mm, no oh, well, yeah. i don't i don't really want to that that's too much um if i open that door then that door's never going to be closed and if i start you know i've had people say i i just feel like if i start crying now i'm never going to stop mm-hmm. right and that's so sad yeah and I, but i but i think i think that's true in one sense of all of us mm. yeah right like like what what is that part of us that uh, so Lewis talks about this idea in the weight of glory he talks about this idea that inside each one of us is an inconsolable secret hmm. he says it's a secret we cannot hide and we cannot tell though we, <laughs> though we want to do both yeah it's a secret we cannot tell because we've never experienced it and it's a secret we cannot hide because our experience is always suggesting it hmm. and I, I read that and part of me is just like, ah, like I, that's maddening. Mm-hmm. Like, what is he saying? But I'm also read that, and I'm like, I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. yeah. Hilarious. yeah, you said something earlier. Mm. This is one of my dad's favorite passages. Mm. It's from C.S. Lewis's "The Weight of Glory." Mm. The secret I cannot hide and cannot tell. It's like that passage peers into the problem of of existence that's like the definition of existentialism mm. is that passage your dad really loved using that term existential like mm. the existential angst or uh the problem or the existential desire you know i think that mm-hmm. was i feel like i i feel like i'm talked about the in the same lines of that, which I feel like I, I've, I've always, I feel like I always resonated with your dad in the sense, the way he talked about paradox was something that just, uh, I don't know, always resonated with me, like being able to live in paradox. Yeah. And I don't know, like a kindred soul. Like when you find somebody who, who says, you know, the, the be able to live in paradox, it's like, I feel like, I feel like I connected, like, <laughs> it's like, 
Yes. Yeah. I heard <laughs> what does that mean to you? And it, it's just, it's, it was just always great to ask because I could always ask your dad those questions and push on him, and and he would just always graciously I heard accept. This, <laughs> I heard this quote recently. Somebody said, I don't remember who it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opposite of a small truth is a lie. Mm-hmm. The opposite of big truth is another big truth. Mm-hmm. I think that's the essence of paradox. And it isn't that something is contradictory to something else. It's that oh, gotcha. two really important true things exist at the same time. And they seem to be at odds, but they're mm-hmm. not. The whole thing is like the whole, was it, how does it tell? And you cannot hide and you cannot tell. It's like, yeah. But at the same time that you're like, what is that? Ah, and you're also <laughs> like, yes, that's true. Yeah. Right. So, and there's, there's like a relief in that. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, my dad even made that sound yeah. as he was describing. It's like, ah, it hurts, but it's true, and that actually feels good. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of an angst in it, and also uh, peace. Um, you were talking about, uh, my dad liked talking about existentialism. Mm-hmm. And one of your favorite quotes is I know myself and yet I do not know myself. Mm, totally. It's one of your axioms. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a clip of that coming up in that episode with, with okay. dad and yeah. here's his response. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's part of the dilemma of talking about this. You brought this up, Matt, that like there's this part of me that wants deeply to be known. And there's this part of me that's like, hell no. You're not going to know me, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's sort of this both pull, this invitation to know me, and this other part of me that's just got my fist out and it's like, no, you're not going to know me. Mm-hmm. And I think the I don't know if that's a paradox or an ambivalence, right? And I think that will, in some sense, will always be true, right? And so even as you say you're perfectly intimate with four or five people, well, you're not. Right, because nobody knows you completely. Nobody can know you completely. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know yourself in right. that way either. So. Right. And so that i that idea, I, but I think that idea still pushes us forward. There's something in me that wants to <laughs> wrestle. <laughs> what is that? That's somebody playing their music loud on the street. <laughs> we don't have a proper studio. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, there's some there's something in me that that pushes toward that and struggles with that, and we'll always struggle with that. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem we're going to solve. But mm-hmm. I, I think the 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 dissatisfaction that I have about that pushes me forward, pushes us forward, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking. Of- I love that the dissatisfaction of that is what pushes us forward. Yeah. There's something beautiful and horrifying and amazing in that statement. That's yeah. Like if you didn't have that paradox Mm. between knowing yourself and not wanting to know yourself Mm -hmm. between being known and not wanting to be known, Mm. would you move forward at all? I mean, if you were, if you were perfectly resolved and perfectly comfortable, Mm well, what else is there to do? There's no moving forward. And if there's no moving forward, then what is there? Hmm. Death. Death. Because you live inside of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you live at, if you live outside of time, it's perfectly 
fine. I mean, that again, that's that placeholder word for God. Mm-hmm. You'd be a God, hmm. but you're not. You live in time. Yeah. Or even being an idea of satisfaction and dissatisfaction, like the paradox of that. Like if you were completely satisfied and that was a final statement, then there's no reason to move forward because you're satisfied. But in that statement, we also find this sort of little thing that kind of, kind of boils up a little bit. It says, you're not satisfied. Mm-hmm. That's not enough. Right. It's kind of like if you were to answer the question, what do you want? Hmm. And you think I really truly answered it. Yeah. There would be something that would boil mm-hmm. up and say, did, did you? Yeah. <laughs> or so, even you said about the, you know, what's bigger, what's, what's bigger than a truth is a bigger truth or what's the opposite of a big truth Oh, yeah. is another big truth. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, you just see this in the world around us as we like, you know, we have this idea of, of, of who we are and how we function. And then all of a sudden, which is useful and helpful and it's, it, it could be a complete revelation, but at some point another truth comes and almost surpasses that. It wasn't that that was untrue. It was something, something, a greater sort of revelation has come to shed light on something more. Right. And I think that's where that dissatisfaction is, is that, you know, we do receive a certain amount of satisfaction when we experience that truth or that perspective or idea but at some point you go, well, is that really it? And I think that's something that if you don't follow that, I think that leads to sort of an internal death. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe there's, maybe if you do follow that, it also leads to death because if you are resolved, mm-hmm. comfortable with the paradox you don't really have much use for time anymore. And, mm-hmm. and so you expire from this timeline it, and it's back to this question. of was like, well, are you gone? I don't know, mm. but there's something else that he said. I'm going to play another clip. Yeah. This is a shorter one about wisdom that, that, that reminds me of. Mm. This is right after we talked about suffering. It might be. I think so. That's yeah. another clip I definitely oh, okay. want to play. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's one thing I'm super thankful that we had your dad on the podcast. I almost wish we had had him on a couple more times. I know, I do too. <laughs> it was just such a, I mean, yeah, obviously you had the privilege of being his son and I had the privilege of being able to be your friend and know your dad <laughs> and Greg kind of just sit around and have those conversations with him. So yeah. it was, a, uh, I don't know. There was, I can see why your mom would want to like record, record him. Yeah. <laughs> and both of those extremes need to be Here somehow corrected into something more of a healthy balance. And I think that's the position we're always in, right? Yeah. Like I, I see that I'm this way and I need to not be so much that way. And then I switch to the other side. I'm, you know, yeah. we're always sort of swinging back and forth between one or the other. Yeah. And, and I look at wisdom in some sense as one way to talk about wisdom as a, a sort of an absence of anxiety, hmm. right? Like, like I'm kind of okay being here. I don't need hmm. those swings. To I don't need to be quiet, and neither do I need to be loud. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be confrontive. I don't need to be non-confrontive. Hmm. That's I, that's super interesting. That blew me away. Hmm. The definition of wisdom being 
an absence of anxiety. Hmm. Because you might say wisdom is something like sage advice mm-hmm. or, you know, something like knowledge, something that's about intellect. Yeah. Applied knowledge or understanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's actually saying, no, maybe part of wisdom is, well, I'm not really anxious about the ways in which I'm on the right or wrong side I'm swinging back and forth on some pendulum between understanding and not understanding, knowing myself, not knowing myself. And I, at the beginning of that clip, I think somewhat in my youth, naively said it's about finding a healthy balance. Hmm. And my dad's saying, no, not exactly. It's about not being anxious about the fact that you're on the wrong side of that all the time. (laughs) And it'll move back. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to be... How did he put it? I don't need to be quiet and I don't need to be loud. Hmm. I don't need to be confrontive and I don't need to be non-confrontive. I'm okay. Hmm. I thought about, and I think I said this after further on in that episode, like if that, it, that does seem to me to be the way that old, older, more wise people are hmm. is they're okay. Mm-hmm. Shit's going on. People are dying, health is failing, hearts are breaking, and they're okay. And you want to listen to them because they're sober, they're mm. sane in the midst I, of chaos. I like of sober. Chaos. That's a really great, yeah. there's a soberness to wise older people mm-hmm. that, that's refreshing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because your dad also talked about how how a wise person also knows when to be loud and when to be yes soft and you know he thought he was talking about the fool too and knowing knowing when to apply like you know in the in the proverbs it talks about you know don't rebuke a fool unless you become a fool too and it's mm-hmm. like also to rebuke a fool it's like it has two different the same things but it's a, it both says don't rebuke the fool and also rebuke, rebuke the, the fool. fool yeah and it's there's something about knowing the right time and application for that like like would this be helpful or useful because it's also in some instances i've seen this uh publicly done in different debates and talks and stuff you could tell sometimes a person will let something go and other times they're actually addressing it but it's not to the person but for those who are listening and mm-hmm. and i think there's i think there's something in that too is is that okay this person's, I'm going to address this person's question, but I know this person's not going to listen and it's basically fruit, uh, uh, fruitless or futile, you know, but they answer it because the audience needs Someone to else hear needs that. It. They need that. Yeah. And so you, in that sense, like rebuking the fool is actually helpful for those that are listening and around, you know? Mm. I have that clip. Oh, do you? Okay. You want to play it? <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> Um, I mean, you guys definitely should go back and it's our episode two and it's, yeah. it's, it's really, I tried to, fantastic. I was like, what, what clips do I want to have on hand? And I ended up pulling like 15 clips because uh-huh. that whole, everything he said in that episode was so good. And I'll just tell you right now, skip ahead 10 minutes, Matt and I, Oh, we did an intro. We'd intro wait too long at the very beginning right. of our podcast. <laughs> yeah. So you can skip um, 10 in and we'll, you'll hit it. I'm going to skip this clip. There's okay. there's two that I want to get to, and um, 
I, I think I want to end on these two. Okay, perfect. I would definitely say it because you did a good job of, of yeah, summarizing. Yeah. yeah, summarizing that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, he had some really good things to say about suffering, mm, which I think is one. relevant. Well, relevant in a really deep way, and I'll just say at the mo- I will say it's relevant to this moment because I think I am as my family is as are many friends clients family members of dad's suffering his loss so let's listen to this well while you're pulling that up I'll just kind of I think that's one thing you and I were talking about in the car over is like how many people your dad impacted I mean, not only as a therapist, but, mm-hmm. you know, there was different classes and seminars that your dad has, has been a part of. And, you know, you know, your dad interacted not only in a therapy setting, but also at your first Fridays, you know, at yeah. Fado Fridays. And, you know, I always noticed that people did defer to your dad as sort of like an elder, like a, a, a wise person. And that was something that, you know, I think your your even your dad's comment in the podcast about, you know, someone said that you, they did this good thing. He did this good thing for them. And he was like, he was like, Oh, thanks. And he was like, I should have asked what was that or how did that impact you? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think there's something even like he would not probably even understand his goodness and mm. the wisdom that he carried. <clears throat> so I, yeah, I, mean, I think there's a part of us that doesn't want to understand. Oh, I kind of wonder too, is like there's, it's hard because I think on one side, it's like to be able to say thank you. Like he mentions in, in the, in that podcast too, and just say thank you yeah, and accept something. But there's also a part of you also know that you also know your own depravity and your own how you fall short. And so there's something about that, something in there that, that kind of keeps you in check as far as, you know, how, I don't know, do you have it pulled up or... <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I do. Let's. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about that. So let's listen mm-hmm. to this little clip okay. of that story he told. Well, I mean, I think we we all have questions of ourselves and others that we some which we ask and some that we don't ask um, that lead more in that direction. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what also happens is, and this happens in the therapy office as well. But hope, hopefully, <clears throat> at least the goal is it help, happens less, mm-hmm. and that is that. Um, it's not just a question of the other person. I'm also having to mediate my own anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? And what I'm feeling in the context of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I I had someone the other day, someone that, um, not in a therapy setting, a friend, and this person said something very kind to me about something that I'd done for them some years past. And, and I, I felt a little self-conscious, mm-hmm. right? And I, I thanked them and I told them that was very kind of them to say that. But I noticed after, after the interaction, I thought to myself, why didn't I ask them more about that? Hmm. Like, why didn't I say, how was that helpful to you? Yeah. 
Right. You just let them thank you and you said pretty much you're welcome and went right. on. Yeah. Right. And I, I had to ask myself that question, like why didn't I push the conversation a little bit? It wasn't it wasn't fundamentally uncomfortable, but I think if I had asked that further question, it would have been it would have changed the tone of the conversation a little bit. And I, um, I, I'm still not done sort of thinking that through as to why I, I didn't, but I, I think there's a sense in which... It seems awkward. Like, it, you know, like, oh, well, be. how did that, why did that? It's like, like oh, well, uh, you know, it's like... Well, I, yeah, that's why I say I don't think we're, we're mm. used to people asking that question. Yeah. And certainly not in a way that is just sort of like, as, as a result of a natural conversation, mm-hmm. right? I love, I mean, this, is, this speaks to the character of my dad when he says, you know, because it sounds, this whole story that he just told sounds like a rather benign or something. totally yeah. mm-hmm. benign conversation. Mm-hmm. Why would you even think about this? Someone said, thank somebody said something kind and he said, thank you. Why would you think? A second time about that and he says I'm still not done thinking through why I didn't ask a follow up question mm. he both and, and my two answers for that as to why he was that way is that he was deeply curious in a caring way he wanted to know because he cared and he was also intellectually rigorous Hmm. and I think he noticed that someone said something and he simply said thank you but he noticed that he had other things to say Mm -hmm. questions like well why how did that help you I'm curious to know and he was self-awareness self-aware enough to say at the same time like I had to mediate my own anxiety about that Hmm. I didn't necessarily want to ask the questions that I had to ask Mm -hmm. and I don't know why I didn't and I'm going to keep thinking about it Hmm. and as as I listened to that that little section there I thought what would it be like if we had if we asked the questions we want to ask what kind of questions are inside of you that you're ignoring yeah just in typical everyday benign conversations Mm mm-hmm you go to the bar to order a beer or order a coffee. You have some question. You don't ask it. Mm. And you say, because, well, it would be socially awkward or I'm anxious or in a hurry, something. Mm-hmm. But if you asked the questions that you have to ask, which you really don't have any control over, the questions that you have to ask mm. just spring up out of the ground of your soul. Mm-hmm. And you either ask them or you don't. Yeah. What if you asked them? Would your life be better? Would your relationships be better? I think they would. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, no, I was just thinking. I I I, I kind of tend to do this in my head. As far as I would say, a lot of the times, yes, and sometimes, no. <laughs> You know, I well, think it would be, you'd have yeah, to learn. You have to learn, but sometimes you have to. You had, you'd have to make the mistakes mm-hmm. in order to learn that. Which, uh, which, in that sense, I really do S- learn which that. of your questions are the right questions and which are the wrong questions, mm-hmm. and which questions need more time, mm-hmm. better formulation. Mm-hmm. But I think about a child. Mm-hmm. 
like a child's always asking questions. Mm-hmm. And at some point we grow up and stop asking questions. And it reminds yeah. me of that Pablo Picasso quote, every child is born an artist. Mm. The trouble is to remain one as you grow up. Mm-hmm. We stop making art. We stop asking questions. Well, I think too, it's just af- afraid to fail. I think that's a part of that too. It's like, if I ask the question, maybe that, maybe my love will be unrequited, you know, unrequited. Yeah. Yeah. Or unreciprocated. Unreciprocated. Yeah. It's like, or that, um, you know, maybe I'll look like a fool if I ask this question. Like right. I, I can think of so many times in like in philosophy class, I'd be like, oh no, but, but what if that's such an elementary question? You know, yeah. and I don't look smart or yeah. I don't, you know, I'm not sophisticated as well, the other people. It's like, that's why dad said you're always mediating your own exa- mm-hmm. anxiety totally. in the middle of every conversation or business wise. I mean, and it's if like, wisdom is the absence of anxiety. Yeah. And if you can remove the anxiety by just asking the questions mm-hmm. and being okay with the answers, you could be wise. Uh, well, it's, I was just thinking about that today. I was talking to a friend of mine and I do these entrepreneurial sort of, uh, we submit our ideas and, and we kind of tear them apart. And these guys that I'm around are just so insightful and so much experience. I kind of feel like I'm the, I'm the third wheel in the room. You know, (laughs) I was telling them this today and I was just like, I was like, man, I just need to be a fool, you know, to, 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 to be okay with being the fool again, because I'm an expert in many areas, you know, and I think I'm looked up to in a lot of areas, but I need to be in areas where I am the fool, you know, and being the fool of the areas that I think I'm an expert in too. Yeah. It's like, so I don't want to overstate it, but sometimes putting ourselves in situations where we're a little bit out of our depth and like kind of being okay with being the fool, you know, I think that's, there's something healthy in that area. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's go to suffering. Okay, and then roll it up there. And then I've got a pathway. Okay, from there to closure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I like when we listen. Think about like like suffering. Like this is what were you gonna say? I just like I like it when we watch listen to these clips because I hear myself laughing at the very same places I laugh in the clips. Yeah, and actually at some point. On the recording, you said, awesome. You said, that's awesome. And I watched you mouth, that's awesome, in real time. Uh, that's hilarious. It's like, back to free will versus determinism. Uh, Are you just a program? Totally. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here we go. Like suffering. Like, this is something I've always, I've really, <clears throat> so in my ideal world, I could learn things without suffering or without uh going through a very difficult um, situation in order to learn a very valuable and deep and transforming lesson. Mm -hmm. So far that has not been uh, experientially (laughs) true. It seems like all the things that mean the most to me are the things that I've really had to work through or suffer through. You know, it's like, (laughs) because there's kind of the idea of like extracting suffering and everything will be okay. That, that doesn't really, it doesn't seem like that's, I wanted that to be true, but it mm. doesn't seem to be true. Mm. I don't know. Does that? Yeah. That? I mean, <laughs> have you not read Proverbs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Proverbs says in, in wisdom, there mm. is much suffering. Mm. Right. And, and we know that people that 
we intuitively know that. We, we know people that are wise, and sometimes mm-hmm. they're older. Most of the time they are older. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why they're older is because they have been through um, an immense amount of suffering, mm-hmm. right? They bear the scars of that on their face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that song. Um, Which one? The one you talk about your family, your family trees. Oh, yeah. Full but um, broken. And you bear it in the lines on your forehead. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, it's interesting that you that yes, we do somehow intuitively know that that wisdom requires suffering. Hmm. Why do we intuitively know that? Because we've never experienced anything different. Mm, maybe because we i mean suffering the definition of suffering is the gap that exists between what you want and what you have hmm. right hmm. and and i'm not talking about enough money or whatever those things are i'm, I'm talking in in terms of the the deep longing of my soul right hmm. i i want a certain thing i want justice i want love i want beauty i want goodness and i i glimpse that right at times and and it and it sort of pings a place in me that I'm not necessarily all that familiar with. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but I but I yes, I think suffering we intuitively know that because we 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 know that we long for something that we don't have mm-hmm. um, or that we have very little control over. Um, so Jung once said that um, all neurosis, and I'll just use the term neurosis in a very sort of loose way, that is, mm-hmm. those ways that we live, those things that we do um, that are just sort of compulsive and we don't know why we do them and whatever. All neurosis is an alternative to legitimate suffering. Mm-hmm. The, the idea being that the reason why I am out of control, the reason why I do things I don't want to do is mm-hmm. because I have legitimate suffering in my life mm-hmm. and I don't want that. Yeah. And it's that suffering and the, the refusal to enter into that suffering in one sense that drives me to do things that are mm, maladaptive. Wow. Right? So. Yeah. Bombs. Yeah, the whole, I had to write it down. That's why I, was, I wasn't texting. <laughs> <laughs> the whole idea of neurosis causing, being caused by the rejection of suffering. All neurosis is an alternative Mm. to legitimate suffering. Yeah. I love that quote because it's the idea that there could be legitimate suffering. Mm. And if there is legitimate suffering, then there is also illegitimate suffering, Mm. Mm -hmm. unnecessary suffering. Mm. There is necessary suffering. And I liked his definition, which is, the definition of suffering is the gap between what you want and what you have. Mm-hmm. And if you're honest about what you want and you're honest about what you have, well, you don't have what you want mm-hmm. and you have to suffer that. Mm. I also was just <laughs> lit up. Like my dad quoted one of my song lyrics <laughs> oh really I didn't catch that yeah oh that's badass you bear the lines of your broken family on your face and the oh. lines on your forehead yeah. and 
it's which like song was that? Dad, it's called Into the Light. Into the Light, okay, yeah. It's on the hard rains. Hmm. But like he's referencing Carl Jung and C.S. Lewis and many other people in that, and just without thinking about it, just referenced me. Wow, you're in the the. the <laughs> well, no, I'm not. But I I, I no, feel I, I, like I was blushing. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. like he, yeah. With those people, like yeah. he mentioned me. <laughs> he mentioned me. But it's not about those people. It's that he mentioned me. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Somehow something I said was a part of his thinking. And maybe this goes back to, you know, you say this all the time, like you'll start to quote something mm-hmm. or recall some conversation or some memory. Mm-hmm. And you'll say to me, I don't know if you said this or I said this. One of us said this. It doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. like you and I have merged into <laughs> some sort of co- yeah. <laughs> We have a third grade or yeah, heart right? or whatever but it is. I, th- I really do believe that all relationships that are based on love are mm. like that. Mm. And that is the same idea that we were talking about earlier is that there is something of me, of me that lived in my dad mm. and there's something of him that lives in me. And so he's not gone. Yeah. He's just different. Mm. And... That's beautiful. And also, as I was listening to that, I just thought, you can't avoid suffering. Mm. Because if the definition of suffering is the gap between what you have and what you want, and if if what Peter Kraft said is true, and that it may be possible that the only thing one can want is God, Mm -hmm. that as long as we are here, inside of time we will be suffering Mm. because we won't have what we want Mm. and that really brings Carl Jung's point full circle which is that we do all sorts of things and to use my dad's word which are maladaptive we have all these compulsions we do all these things that we don't really want to do we're just trying to avoid the suffering Mm. that is intrinsic to this life And if we can suffer legitimately rather than illegitimately, and if we can not turn toward neurosis, but turn towards suffering, I think we will move down the road towards something like a lack of anxiety Mm. or Mm. wisdom. And that's going to be a much more comfortable and productive life in the midst of suffering, which we cannot completely ameliorate Mm -hmm. well I'm curious like um, you know just because we're kind of wrapping up and stuff like that it's like what I mean one statement of yours that you said at the at your dad's sort of eulogy I guess is that your dad was a good man Mm -hmm. and I love that because I feel like I heard that and felt that and experienced that from everybody there. <coughs> and there was something about that that was true and real because it when the, when when people said your dad was a good man, it and you kind of made the statement with I could say he's great, but it, it almost kind of obfuscate who he was because he was a good man. That means he was, he was faulty and not perfect. 
it's like it's kind of like it's all summed up in that same thought or idea like a good man is both faulty and good you Mm -hmm. know and um i felt like that's something that i experienced from everyone Mm -hmm. there like he kind of had a had a even your mom i love your mom's you know it's like uh how she talks about him too you know like he can be stubborn or whatever you know it's like and it's like and arrogant and arrogant yeah and he knew that mm mm-hmm but you could still that that statement a good man applies yeah even with all those things because we are all those things you know and there's something that i don't know i think that's something i aspire to like i was telling a friend of mine today i was like man you know it's like when i was at that at matt's dad's funeral like that idea of a good man is like i want people to say that about me yeah at my funeral and i felt like you could say that about mike and nobody could bat an eye at that. I was just like, well, the thing that struck me is that as maybe I'll put it this way: I've never been at a memorial service or funeral in which I was sort of immediate family. Hmm. I mean, I've had grandparents die, aunts die. Hmm. doesn't exactly make me immediate and it is immediate family but I this is immediate in the way that my father died people wanted to talk to me Mm. in those scenarios some people wanted to talk to me but so I had a lot of people talking to me and I had a lot of people say to me something like that like he was a good man and it struck me in without fail in every single instance that they weren't telling me that because they wanted to comfort me Mm. They weren't telling me that as a means of condolence. Mm. They were telling me that because they believed it to be true. Mm. They experienced it. They experienced it to be true, and it Mm -hmm. was worth saying. Mm -hmm. And that was powerful. Yeah. Well, to Mike, to Mike, Michael T. McCloskey, we love you. Okay. There's more clips I want to play, but I just encourage you to go listen to it. Yeah. Um, And I decided that I'm going to let dad take us out on this one. All right. Is is there anything that you uh, want to leave us with? Or <laughs> no, I just to, I'm to just thinking about this conversation and and how it's gone in this direction. I don't really know how we got here. <laughs> I, don't <either. laughs> yeah. I don't really know where we, we are. We recorded it though, so I we know, can figure that like, out. Yeah. Well, it's suffering and joy and wisdom and mm-hmm. and struggling with yourself and whatever. And um, yeah, I'm glad it went in that direction. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Happy to. You're welcome. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Love you, Dad. I love you too, Mike.